Welcome back to this week's edition of the Omnitar Fast Five. We are coming to you again live. We are recording on the 7th of May for our air date of May 8th. Hope everyone is having a fantastic time out there. Thanks to everyone for listening in. I am joined, as always, by Anne Mazenga. Hello. Carter Jansen. Hey, guys. And, of course, Emma, the intern in Jersey. Emma, how's it going? Hi, everyone. It's good, you know. It's going last week and the week before. It's going, Emma. You've been you've been trying to you've been like applying to graduate programs. You've been doing all kinds of stuff. So, kind of, what's yeah, what's going on with you as you're in quarantine in the epicenter of the world's outbreak here? Well, I decided getting like a full time paying job probably was pretty impractical for the foreseeable future. <laughs> so delayed. I was like, yeah. I was kind of like, well, maybe I'll just push up the grad school plans to now. So still waiting to hear back from the applications committees and whatnot, but it's been fun. Awesome. Awesome. I feel like I've been kind of pushing off the professional career with this whole OmniTalk thing here to the same degree. Probably answers the same way. And what's your, what's, what's your week been like? Oh man. I mean, it's been good. We're just hanging in here. We're doing fine. Did have, you know, I've had a lot of curbside pickup experiences this week that have gone very, very wrong. So trying to still be considerate and thoughtful about the people that are working very hard to make those experiences happen. But have you guys, what's like, what's your experience been? Have you guys had good things happen with curbside for the most part? We've kind of touched on it, but. You guys remember my vendetta like four weeks ago. Yeah. I think like the net net, the summary of this whole thing is like, it doesn't matter how fancy your technology is. Mm -hmm. Like companies have to realize like, what is the consumer experience? Like one of my best curbside experiences was at the local liquor store who bought a Google voice number, pasted on the side of the wall and someone was there just answering it. It was amazing. I'd much rather have that than have a fancy app to download and try to track me and then say, are you there? Are you not there? And try to figure out what spot. Like, I'm like, let me just like text in my name and come out and put it in my trunk and let me be on my way. And so I think um, it's fascinating to see who's relying on technology and who's relying on the buzzwords of the current day and who's actually uh, putting the consumer first. Well, and what's the, so here's my question for you guys, I guess. What is the returns plan? Like, for example, you get something, you real you get it home, you're not really looking. I don't know about you guys, but I'm not going back and observing what's in the car. So several on several occasions this week, I get home and realize I have the wrong item, like completely wrong item. So and I'm not returning it. Like some of the stores aren't even accepting returns. But what are you guys doing with your curbside situation? Like what do you think people in general are doing? Carter? I mean, they're, they're doing nothing right now. I mean, right now the focus is just getting some sort of curbside spun up in order to serve the customers in, in some way, shape or form. And if you guys remember, I forget the name, Chris, you might remember the name, but it was like, I mean, months ago we had talked about the no hassle return box that would enable just to, you'd throw a product in and they'd figure everything out. You guys remember, I forget what the name of that company yeah. was, yeah. but there's gotta be some innovation within that space. Cause I really think returns are really hard, especially when you look at like malls and things like that. Trying to return. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, maybe it was a brand that was actually, yeah, it was was actually doing it, but it's like, there's got to be a way where, hey, we'll ship you a bag and we'll either ship it or, you know, you come by and drop it in and we'll figure it out now with food and things like that. It's a different story. Uh, But yeah, I think there's just a lot of space for innovation in, in, in that category. 
Yeah, it's, it's interesting too, because I know Ann's exact example. It's like a liquor store. And I imagine liquor stores are pretty entrepreneurial when it comes to, eh, I think we maybe have too much of this in stock. Let's just give it out to, <laughs> to this unsuspecting person. And yeah, probably nothing's going to happen. So that's okay. You know, this rose tastes like watermelon Jolly Ranchers. She's going to love it. Yeah, it'll be fine. <laughs> there, there's a lot of arbitrage opportunities in here for the enterprising people. But, uh, but anyway, yeah, I imagine we'll get into all that and more this week on the fast five got to be honest with you it's a little bit of a slow week but we're going to try to have as much fun as we possibly can with everything we of course have some great stories from walmart a really amazing story about jc pennies we got we're going to cover j crew gap and then close it up with a real fun story about denny's so stick stick around for that one because hopefully we're just going to have a hell of a lot of fun with this show and that is our reputation in addition to hopefully providing you insightful and thoughtful comments every week all right, well, let's get started. This week's episode is sponsored by Trigo. Trigo is developing the most advanced AI and computer vision-based checkout-free system for the grocery industry. Using standard cameras and proprietary algorithms, Trigo converts real-size stores, introducing a frictionless shopping experience. Together with Tesco, Trigo is currently piloting the world's largest checkout-free store. To learn more, visit www.trigo.tech. All right, I am going to start us off this week, and there was a big announcement from Walmart that came out right around the close of business on Thursday or late last week on Friday, and that is that Walmart is now launching a pricier two-hour express grocery delivery service. The way it works is if you pay Walmart an upcharge of $10 on top of your usual delivery fee, however you're coordinating that. They promise to give you your order in two hours. The service has been piloting across 100 Walmart stores in the U.S. since mid-April, and Walmart now says that it plans to expand the service to nearly 1,000 stores by early May and to bring it to 2,000 stores as soon as possible thereafter. Now, I'm going to open this one up. I wrote a pretty scathing article about this for Forbes, and it's actually my second most read article. Uh, and to give you guys some inside baseball, baseball for those of you that are loyal OmniTalk subscribers, let's just say Walmart's PR department was also none too happy with me. Uh, but the interesting point, I actually have heard no complaints about my position on social media at this point, which is very, very rare. So I think I've hit on something, but I'm curious. Am I overreacting? Am I dead on the money with this being the wrong move for Target right now? What do you guys think? Yeah, why don't you start? Walmart. Walmart. Wrong move Walmart, Walmart. Sorry. Yeah. I guess it's Target. Yeah, Walmart. Sorry. So I, th- I don't think there's anything wrong with this as an option for customers of Walmart. I think it's a smart business move. The timing is awful. Like the, it's totally out of touch and insensitive. And there's a lot missing from the press release that they put out about this uh, capability. Namely being, and, and I, I would say like a lot of gray area around who gets access to what things like they claim that, you know, any of the products that are in high demand, which I'm going to argue is the majority of the products that you're getting shipped from a grocery store right now are in high demand. So they claim that, you know, they claim that they're, they're not, you know, preferring the, this delivery, this express delivery customer over another customer, but it's hard to understand how they are actually doing this. Um, And, you know, in a lot of cases, when you do go to order the product from Walmart, 
if, if you aren't this express delivery customer, you don't even see a slot that's available. So it's either, yes, I get it, you know, in this two hour window, or I don't have a slot that's opening for the next seven days. And who knows what those, uh, what the availability of those high demand products are in seven days. So yes, I think, um, especially for Walmart, whose mission is to have people live better and save money. Um, I don't know how this is making the live better portion of that extend across the uh, entire country, but man, it's definitely not saving you money either. Uh, Carter, what do you right. think? Yeah, I mean, Chris, I was with you when you first read the initial release, and I remember just the right. heat that was coming across the Zoom channels, right? Um, you know, I totally get it in terms of why this is just like, I agree with you, I agree with Anne completely. You know, I, I just think it'll be interesting as we start to see the demand just completely spike. Uh, what are people going to do? And I compare it a lot. You guys remember the airport, right? Um, this was a long time ago that we were at the airport, but it's like, you look at the TSA lines and how that has evolved, right? In terms of, you know, you first you had the standard lines, then you had, you know, the, uh, you know, uh, you know, TSA pre-check and then you have clear and you have different levels of clear. And if you have clear and PSA pre-check and you pay, you know, whatever the $180 per year, plus the TSA pre-check fee, you're now at this premium echelon of a level. And, and I'm, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but to your guys' point, it's horrible timing. Uh, why do this? Why not shelve this and start putting an emphasis on trying to figure out how to actually get more delivery slots for the general public in, in, in this time, rather than investing into some premium service that's not needed at right now. Yeah, and I get I get that analogy. I think it makes sense on the surface, but I think if you go into it further, this is really different, especially in the time that we're living right now, because there's no shortage of planes. It's not like they say, here's the standard line, here's the pre-check. Oh, and by the way, there's one plane for all of you. Come get it's it. even worse, right? Because <laughs> right? you might not actually get on your plane. Yeah, I totally get what you're coming right? from. Like, so that, that's totally, the part about totally. it. See, I get it in natural peacetime situation, but that's not the case. And you can try to tell me that you're going to control the demand and make sure the inventory is there. But one of our loyal followers, Kevin, was sh- showing me pictures of Kroger this week. And like, there's no meat anywhere in, in, in around where he lives, like on all of the shelves. But Ann, go ahead. And we're talking $18, around $18, cause you're the $10 express least, fee plus yeah. the delivery fee, $18 a trip. So every week that you're getting groceries, in you know for the average american in this country to try to refill your your piles your stockpiles at home every week you're paying that $20 premium so i i think carter's analogy is right but you even look at like the clear programs those are spread out across the entire year or prime even or the grocery delivery membership for walmart it's spread out across the entire year and it's $100 i mean in theory if you have to use this express service to get your groceries that's $20 a week you're paying. So in one month, you've already, you know, spent over $100 in excess fees just to get your groceries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a lot of extra, it's, a, it's potentially a lot of extra money. Somebody made a point on social media today is like, if we do get into a situation where the shortages are worse, you actually might accelerate the demand for this and exacerbate the problem altogether. Emma, any take on this? I, I, you know, grocery shopping, Gen Z perspective, anything we're missing here? I don't think so. I just don't understand how this is like right now, like logistically possible. Like I just don't see it working. Well, that's the other point too, is like Walmart, you're not delivering your orders on time as it is. Like people are, I'm getting reports of people pulling up on curbside pickup and finding out their stuff's not there. Like, can we iron that kind of thing out first? That's a great point, Emma. All right. Well, let's do story number two. Who's on the hook for that one? JCPenney goes to court to try to stop Sephora from pulling out of its stores. So JCPenney has filed a temporary restraining order against Sephora in an attempt to prevent the makeup seller from ending their current four-year contract 
early as Sephora was reportedly threatening to not reopen their JCPenney locations. JCPenney won the restraining order. However, Sephora is pushing back with a hearing set to happen tomorrow, stating that the narrative is one-sided and misleading. The companies have had a 16-year relationship. What a mess. <laughs> this one I, is great. I loved this headline. Just like, I don't know, the restraining order. It was like you picture just, I don't know, in my mind, it was like the John Cusack, uh, J.C. Penny just holding the boombox outside of the Sephora window. <laughs> like, please don't leave me. Yeah. Uh, Emma, oh. Emma, I'm curious about what, like, when was the last time if ever, that you've gone to the a JCPenney store? We had a JCPenney in the mall that's closest to my house, but that I had been in once or twice, I've not, I think, and I'm pretty sure it was a JCPenney, but it closed years and years and years ago. So I can't even, maybe somewhere between like eight and 12 years ago, I was in a JCPenney. Okay. Okay. Carter, you were going to say something. Sorry. I, didn't mean yeah, to I was just going to say, I mean, look at, I mean, Sephora is like one of the only things that JCPenney really has as a, and I mean, that's a sweeping statement, the only thing going for it, but I mean, it is an anchor in the middle of these stores that they love talking about. And even when I've done work with them in the past, they always talk about just this crown jewel. And, and it's the reason so many people uh, walk into the store in the first place, many people aren't going there for JCPenney. They're going there for the Sephora in the middle of it. And I think, you know, they are so scared of what this would look like if all of a sudden that disappeared. And I think they see the writing on the wall saying, hey, if we lose kind of this crown jewel, the reason people come to our store in the first place, why, why would people walk in the door ever? And I think that's just so scary. And, and you can tell, they put a restraining order in. They're so scared about it. They went to this legal route that we have never really seen. Um, so it's just, uh, it's sad and a little interesting to watch. Yeah, yeah I mean, this, this is, it's, oh, I was going to say, I think I, this is hilarious. I don't know the right analogy for it. I was trying to, trying to think, but like, you can't, you can't make heads and tails of the story either because one side's denying it. The other side's saying it's happening, you know, and it's, it's like, it's like, Hey, I got a better opportunity and I need to get divorced from my spouse and get going on that. How do I make well, this happen? And, and this basically, because the JCPenney department store was closed, this basically gave Sephora the out. It was like, look, we've got footage of JCPenney cheating on you and you can use it in court. Here you go. This is your exit <laughs> exactly. strategy. Exactly. But, well, and the, the coolest part, I think the, 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 just the most amazing part of this story is like, if you just step back 30,000 foot view and you say to yourself, okay, wait, if this is true, Sephora would rather close its stores than be open in a JCPenney's. Totally. That's fundamentally what's happening here. I'd rather shut them down and rebuild them somewhere else than be open in a JCPenney's. But the key thing to look at here and where I was going when I was asking Emma this question earlier is Sephora's position in the United States right now compared to its competitors. So according to some data that I found, Ulta is, you know, Sephora's biggest competitor right now. Ulta has 1,100 stores right now with the, in, the, in North America. With the JCPenney stores, Sephora has t- about uh, t- well, 1,120 stores. So they are neck and neck. So if they lose those JCPenney stores, Sephora, they are losing 660 store locations in the country. 
So they're going lot. back down to 400. But to <laughs> your point, Chris, yeah, it's like the JCPenney brand is dragging them down so much that they are willing to completely scrap those stores, which Report. I do believe yes. people are going to. I mean, I'm not a JCPenney's customer, I would say, but I definitely did go to JCPenney's because it was in a mall that I was already in and there was a Sephora there before Sephora's were more present in, in malls around the country. So there was, there is a reason to go in there. I wasn't able to find the foot traffic data that would support just how many people are crossing the JCPenney's threshold to get in there. But it's really interesting that Sephora is still like, no, we want no attachment to you. If we're really going to go after our competitors, the altars of the world, we've got to do it on our own terms and with our own stores. So, yeah. I mean, the other part about this too, that somebody brought up to me last yesterday in a conversation, that I think is really interesting. And I think this is also a good lesson for all the digitally native brands that have legs. Like what is your strategy to go into physical retail? Because if you look, Sephora actually used historically Sephora used this JC relationship to get into American retail, right. Mm-hmm. And to understand where they could service their customers and in what locations. And you can tell they're a very smart company because they, and they always have been, they're taking the long game to you on what their real estate position is. Okay, well, let's use them for the time we need them, but let's start to diversify around that. They announced their plans earlier this year to build, I think it was a hundred more stores and off mall locations. They now know more about their brand. They use, they use someone else's infrastructure and cost structure to attack the market. It was a really smart move. And so I think there's just so many nuanced angles to how brands can attack physical retail market than what we've actually been seeing in terms of all the brands just going straight to, I'm just going to build my own retail store. Like there's lots of ways to think about the right partnerships now, which can be very different than 10 years from now. So I, I, I is an amazing story. I, I love this story. I think it'll just be so much fun to watch and see where it plays out. All right. Who's up next? So J crew has announced that they have reached an agreement with their lenders to convert one billion of debt into equity. The company, obviously, as many people have reported and has been on many bankruptcy potential lists uh, in the industry throughout the last couple of years, they've been struggling under that debt load for quite a a bit of time. Uh, And according to the Wall Street Journal, it it had planned to leverage a 2020 IPO uh, for its Madewell sister brand uh, in order to cover some of this debt. But those plans have been abandoned. Uh, the company has announced that they will still try to reopen some stores. So they haven't announced that they're completely shuttering the doors of J. Crew, um, but not quite sure what the future holds for the J. Crew brand and for the Madewell brand. So um, I'm 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 wearing my J. Crew blazer today in honor. Are you really? Very yeah, rest in story. peace, my chino khakis. I should have put them on. I know. Oh man, this is so, brutal. Here's here's my here's my issue with this closing, um, and then I'll open it up to the floor. But outside, You're taking the lead on this one. All I'm right, going to go take the it. lead on this go one. For just it. just real this quick. Home. It does. It's really sad to me because, yeah. um, well, one, I did an interview with uh, Audrey McLaughlin, who started the the button down shirt company Frank and Eileen, and. Yeah. Uh, Grayson that's out on Amitak right now, but she also worked at J crew. And in that interview, we had this conversation about how the foundation of, of the J crews of the world outside of the department store, they were really the first ones uh, to have their, their uh, store associates really take ownership in, in having that book of clients in 
caring about the product and where it was made. And even as a company, I think really took some pride in quality materials in order to produce, um, you know, this, this look or this, um, this overall product of the brand. And, you know, outside of, of the J Cruz of the world, and I would say even gap a little bit too, in the early days, who is going to provide this, this product now, this, the basics, the quality basics, um, who's going to be doing, you know, it, does anybody care about their retail associate staff really becoming knowledgeable about the product or taking ownership in some of the product the way that J. Crew did? I don't know that there's somebody in there. And I think it leaves a huge white space um, in the basics kind of world and, and industry here. So curious what you guys think, but I'm pretty sad about it. Emma, what do you think of J. Crew? Like, what do you, what do you think of this announcement? Um, I mean, I was not surprised by the announcement at all. And I think it is, no, I think it is kind of sad though, because I remember like a neighbor of mine used to wear J crew and she always looked so put together. And I was like, when I grow up, I'm going to wear J crew. And it just kind of lost that like touch and sense of Americana that it once held so strongly to. I mean, yeah, it's sad. I mean, J. Crew, I think all had a piece of our lives five, ten years ago. Um, but I, and I want to look at your point that you said of who's going to have that ownership, who's going to have that high touch ownership around basics. And I, I think Emma, would be curious too. But I don't know if the new younger consumer of today needs and wants that, especially around the basic category. When you look at the chinos, you look at the crew neck sweatshirts, you look at the button down, you know, stuff that we always used to buy from them. It's like. You know, for me, it says, well, you know, I, as you guys remember, it was a couple months ago on Amazon wardrobe, I, you know, was trying to find the best crew neck sweater and I did, I found it. It's great. It's like $14.99. I'll probably buy 10 of them. Um, same with khaki pants. Like the next step in that whole thing was like, if I can find just some stretchy khaki pants that fit me like through the Amazon's program, like I'm just going to go that way. I'd rather do that than spend the 79 or even 119 price point that J. Crew is often at um, to get these basics. And so I don't know if the high touch is as important for the new consumer of today. I think there's a category where that's important. I just don't know what that is. And I think that was maybe one of many things that J. Crew could have been doing better over the last few years is to figure out how are you speaking to the new consumer of today? How are you getting into new categories? How are you uh, expanding your service in a way? And, and I know they did some of that, right? But you start looking at, it's easy for us to sit here and say it, but like, what is that that lower price point, just basic khaki pan? What like what does the consumer want and how do we want to get it to them? And what is a subscription service or, or whatever? And I know they were playing with that a little bit, but I, I just think they didn't evolve fast enough. And I and I just think the new consumer of today doesn't look at J. Crew as a high value as they did 10 years ago. I think that's the, I think that I think you're hitting on it there. That, that, that to me is the lesson learned in this. I think we have to be I think we have to be careful too. And this always happens in fashion and having worked at the gap and having had a lot of friends that actually worked at J. Crew at some point in their time after they created the gap. Like fashion, fashion ebbs and flows, right? So especially in the specialty apparel space, like you're seeing different brands that are popular and those go in and out of fashion all the time. So you got to be careful to divorce the performance from just the fact of life that that stuff starts to happen. But I think Carter, what, I think the point you're hitting on in and too is in, in Emma is really interesting in the sense of if you actually think back to it, when J. Crew was really good, I would say the same thing about gap too. When J. Crew was really good, it had a personality. It almost had what we give the digitally native brands a ton of credit for, like having a voice. You know, you think about it, Jenna Lyons and Mickey Drexler to an extent, but even more so Jenna Lyons, she was the personality of that brand. 
brand. Not very, not dissimilar to how we've talked about Emily Weiss with Glossier. And so Carter, I say almost like if you, if you, if you go back and Drexler said it himself where he missed the digital transformation and he did. And it, and, and, and the key thing was what was your brand or product experience for J crew as that was happening? And how did you take all the good stuff and start to talk to your consumer in a digitally relevant way? General Lyons was the way when our only option was physical, but what were all the things you could have done as a brand over this last 10 years to augment that, you know, was it Jenna talking to consumers? Was it each individual designer about every product category and making a direct relationship between them and who's purchasing your products through all the available options you now have through e-commerce and social media, the influencers, all that. That stuff just never got off the ground and still hasn't. And now, by the way, you're saddled with that and you've saddled with this capital structure too. And, you know, it's pretty, and it's pretty hard to, to change it. But instead, the model was similar. It was like, how do we just kind of and he didn't do it to the same degree, but it was like, let's just blanket with stores, you know, let's create Madewell brand, which I still don't quite understand why those two have to exist instead of just one evolving over the other. You know, they, they just didn't do that. And, and now they're playing the price. So, all right, let's keep moving. Story number four. Yeah. So uh, speaking of retail or brands that have had a difficult time, but yet a little glimmer of hope, a little glimmer of innovation here. So Gap, Chris, I know this hits close to home. Um, you know, over the last couple of weeks, we've heard rumors of layoffs of up to 10% of their workforce, mostly at competitors, et cetera, et cetera. But Gap has actually signed a multi-year deal with leasing giant or licensing giant IMG <laughs> to expend the uh, offerings of Gap, Banana Republic, uh, Genie, and Jack brands to products and categories currently not sold. So this is actually super interesting. So everything from bedding, home textiles, home decor, furniture, and baby equipment, such as like strollers and high chairs, are all among these new categories that they're considering moving into. So uh, IMG is going to first take a focus on Banana Republic, which I know we all know really well, uh, and Genie and Jack, um, and ultimately a Jack children's brand, which Genie and Jack holds, to try to drive strollers and high chairs and things like that, which is crazy. Um, so the whole new strategy is, is really geared to generate this kind of cross-category product expansions I mentioned to attract more consumers to the portfolio of Gap. So no longer are you just going there for your button-up shirts and sweaters. You might be going there for your strollers and high chairs and really kind of that cross, uh, cross-functional content and in and, and product category. So, um, it's really interesting to see this new, uh, this new kind of opportunity open for gap, especially during this time. And I'm super curious what you guys think they'll start to get into. This just gets worse and worse as you describe it. I, I mean, I'm, I can find a very I'm, optimistic I'm, standpoint. So I'm curious what you're going to trash here. Chris. I'm, I'm, I get it for Evan and Evan and like, does this interest you at all? Like licensed product from gap outside of apparel? Go ahead, Emma. I'm kind of, I'm interested in like the bedding and textiles because I think that Gap might actually be able to do something useful with that. But I mean, I want to be optimistic and hopeful, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, I don't think that this is going to work. And, and just point of fact, Banana Republic used to do that. Like it was, it was, it was actually part of their store like 20 years ago. What um, bedding was? Yeah. Banana oh. Republic home. They had okay. candles and all, I don't remember exactly what they all had, but it was like a Zara home, quite honestly. But sure. yeah. So you can tell how well that did. Um, since none of us know about it. Uh, but Anne, what do you think? I think Carter's right. This is a smart move for Gap. It's also the nail in the coffin for the Gap stores of the mall. Like, <laughs> just go away. I think Gap should go 100% full steam ahead, 
they're working with IMG who I didn't, you know, prior to this story, I guess I had recognized IMG as like a sports fr- uh, like yeah, franchise yeah, yeah. company. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize they went into fashion. All kinds but of licensing holy deals. cow, are they a giant company? Um, and so who knows, they're probably going to take this brand and run with it. But what I think this could do for Gap, and if I was in their position right now, I would run with this. You've got the majority of the customers right now going into Gap that are also customers of like the TJ Maxx's, the Marshalls. And so I think this is priming that Gap customer to start seeing and recognizing the Gap Banana Republic brands inside the TJ Maxx and Marshalls, you know, in the piles of sheets that you're going there. Like, yeah, of course, I recognize the Gap brand. I'll buy those sheets. I'll buy the, you know, kids high chairs or whatever the things are that are licensing this name in one of those experiences. I think that makes a ton of sense. But to the earlier story of J. Crew and with Gap, I think they've got to start from scratch. They've got to just, I still think, even though Carter was saying in the earlier story, like there's, there is definitely the fast fashion and the Amazons, the Targets, the Walmarts that are doing the basics. I still think there's a huge white space and opportunity for Gap or J. Crew to wipe the slate clean start a new brand that is focused on higher quality pieces for basics. I do think no matter who the person is, that there's still a position for Gap to to play in the overall apparel industry and market where they can provide a higher level of quality basics and or investment pieces of basics for consumers across the spectrum. So that's where I'd go into. Um, I But yeah, the, the Gap stores and the malls, man, see you later. This is done. And yeah, you know, I have two. I, I, oh, go ahead, Carter. Well, I was just going to say, I'm a huge fan of basics, and I agree. I think that there is an opportunity there for Gap to wipe the slate clean and come out with lines of basics, but not only in clothing, maybe it is within other categories as well, and maybe they can place that, that kind of mindset on top of whether it's baby gear or bedding or whatever it might be. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I got to disagree on that a little bit. I think this, to me, two words, Hail Mary. Like the other categories, no one cares. First, I was talking about this with somebody yesterday. No one cares about brands in home. Name a home brand that you really care about that you're going to go out and buy because of the brand. It's virtually impossible. Well, um, maybe not because of the brand, but Chris, I think when they're side by side at a home goods, are you picking the Gap brand over the unknown brand from China? Nah, you're probably going to care about what looks and feels the best and has the best quality and the best price, quite honestly, when they're staring you both in the face. Uh, maybe to a degree, but I think you're probably going to go, what's going to look best in my house and what feels best you know, as I'm sleeping? Um, and also with the strollers, like what's going to protect my kid or, you know, has the best functionality over just what the brand is. So there's still a lot of technicalities that need to go into all those products. So I, I you know, I don't see it. And like I said before, they, they've done this, like it's not new, like, and this isn't going to add all of that much extra revenue. I think to your point, it's, they're in a tough spot. I mean, I would, I was just pulling up the market cap for gap right now, gap total across all their brands, which is a lot, $2.9 billion. You have to imagine most of that value is trapped in old Navy. Um, so how much is the gap brand even worth? Like I, I would actually start like acquisition, like Walmart target, maybe even Amazon go out and buy the gap brand and make this basics play the way you guys are describing it. Put a shop and shop in your store, similar to what we talked about with JC Penney's and Sephora. And suddenly you've got a pretty decently well understood position in fashion. And you could start to build around that in a way that you haven't before and bring it to mass because the day of Gap doing itself, you know, via its channel seems, it seems kind of over, uh, in my opinion. Uh, you can tell it's a slow week, too, because I think on a normal week, there, uh, having listened to the story as described very well by Carter, I don't think this one would have <laughs> made the list any other week. It's just that was how slow the week was. 
But to close it up, to give you an idea of just how slow it was, and thanks for sticking with us, story number five, Denny's introduces meal kits and delivery services. <laughs> yes, you did hear that right. Participating Denny's restaurants, according to Progressive Grocer throughout the United States, will sell make-at-home meal kits that include all of the ingredients for a family meal with easy preparation instructions. Meals include things like complete breakfasts, picnic sandwiches, chicken and rice dinners, slow-cooked pot roast meals, and, of course, everyone's favorite, apple crisp dessert kits, which is hard to say. Oh, they retail for only $12.99. And at many of the locations uh, across the country, you can also order things for delivery, things like bread, assorted meats and cheeses, eggs, and even toilet paper from your local Denny's, all through Denny's on-demand app by the phone. This one is just Almost too funny for me to even believe is real, but it is. What do you guys think, Carter? What do you think? Okay, well, so so I know it's easy to, to laugh about, but you guys got to remember what these kitchens look like. Like in a Denny's, right? Like yeah. it's it's a microwave and another microwave. Like that's like really what they have. <laughs> and so it's fast. Breaks, yeah. Right, maybe, right? Um, so if you think about it, probably the, the products that are being delivered to these local, these local restaurants are probably pretty ready to just hand over to a consumer yeah. to make in their own microwave. You know, instead of having the chef in the back microwave your meal and bring it out, just put a sticker on the front of it and you're good to go. Now I know it's, it's a little bit more difficult than that. And then you extrapolate that to even things like toilet paper. Like what? Like really? But I mean, you got to imagine like the suppliers are still delivering mass amounts of things to these stores and they're probably like, what are we doing with all this? Well, let's sell it. Why not? Um, and I think, you know, that's, it's probably as simple as that. And, you know, to say that we're going to go out for mother's day and get a take home Denny's order is probably not accurate. Um, but commend them for trying. Yeah. I mean, the delivery angle I think is interesting. Like, you know, because yeah, if you can, if you can give us grocery staples that we need, especially milk, eggs, that kind of stuff, toilet paper too, if you've got a gross supply of that. Yeah, sure. That makes sense. The meal kit part is harder for me, but Ann, what do you think? I don't know you guys. I think if you look at $13, $12.99 to feed a family of four to six. That's a very good value. Yeah, um, good value. And in addition to picking up a meal kit, also being able to get grocery staples. Uh, I think, you know, while we're, we're joking about yeah. the, the validity of it, I think it provides a pretty sub- significant value to a, a large number of consumers across the country. There's Denny's all over the country that are able to provide this as another option for people. I also think that if you start to look at who uh, who Denny's demographic is, think about the the elderly people that frequent Denny's, that's their hangout. They're there every day. They go there every morning yeah. for the cup of coffee. And if Denny's is able to send them home with their, you know, rations for the week, their toilet paper, um, milk, eggs, all these yeah. basics that they otherwise would have to go outside to, or they rely on maybe an assisted living homes, you know, little marketplace to provide for them. I, I see some value in it. I don't know. I mean, totally. Uh, the upside here, I guess, yeah, not, might, not for everybody, but I think that there's some value for Denny's and I commend them for doing that. Yeah, you might have convinced me actually. Like, I, you're right. I mean, like, I, I was a, I'm a huge Denny's fan. Actually, I went there a ton in college. It was probably my number one stop for those interested. But yeah, I mean, I mean it's a what good time? Value. What time of day was that? Was that oh, it was like, all day. I you know, like that's 8 probably why I can't eat eggs now. But anyway, <laughs> like, it's just 
it makes a ton of sense. We talked about Walmart story too, in terms of delivery times and expectations. Yeah. If Denny's can slide in here and actually do this and do this reliably and serve a family of four on twelve ninety nine, that's pretty damn good. It's pretty damn compelling. The question I have is how they make any money doing this, but Carter, maybe it's your point. That's because they've got something really wired and figured out in terms of how all this stuff is prepped and made. So uh, we'll see. But hey, kudos to them for trying. It's one of those stories that I think is just really fun and interesting. And as always happens on this show, one of the reasons I love doing this show, uh, there's some new angles that we haven't thought of. And quite frankly, actually, much cooler story than I thought when I initially read it. So awesome. Awesome job, you guys, this week. Um, thanks for sticking with us live. We'll be taking your questions after the show. So if anybody wants to stick around, please have your questions ready for us. We'll be excited to answer them. Got some good, good things happening this week. So our interview with the co-CEO of American Dream Mall, Mark Ramazian, will go live today to all OmniTalk subscribers. You get the full podcast and video footage of that interview that Ann and I conducted yesterday. Uh, put out a great post on Forbes this morning, uh, basically recapping my thoughts on my interview with Sam's Club CEO, Kath McClay. I think you guys will be interested to see that one. So keep a lookout for that. I'll send that out in email along with the Fast Five on Friday. Of course, if you haven't yet, be sure to sign up for our OmniTalk subscriber referral program. Alex, you are out in the lead. So thank you for all of your support. Well on your way to becoming one of the first OmniTalk hosts. So sign up, tell your friends all about us, earn your free swag, as Ann always makes sure I say correctly. And if you're lucky and if you can get enough, maybe even a free trip with Ann and myself to New York or L.A. As always, please remember to like, review, and subscribe to our podcast on the platform of your choice or wherever you listen to your podcast. And of course, Ann has one more thing to say. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there, and especially our moms who are always listening to this podcast. (laughs) Absolutely. We love our moms. We love our wives. Well, I love my wife, Carter. I know you do too. And I know you love your husband. We all love our significant others. You're taking I'm just away from try to get us out of here now. This. Get out, get out. And so as always, be careful out there.